0: You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight's sermon text is Psalm 48. And it says this, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. Selah. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God. In the midst of your temple, as your name, O God, so your praise reaches the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels, that you may tell, tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good evening. My name's Casey, I'm one of the pastors here at Free City, and if you're with us for the first time, and we welcome you. Um, and I, I want to do a couple shout-outs as we get started. Uh, first, shout-out uh, to parents. Um, I see you guys with, like, headlocks on your kids, and um, it's impressive. That's good. Um, and I, I actually want to encourage you. Um, I've actually been reading uh, some, and man, the great benefit of kids at all ages, seeing parents worship together. Um, it has more of an effect than than you're ever going to know. And so I know right now, like there might be endurance, like the the panic mode when the juice box is empty um, and the chalk has run out. Uh, God's going to use even that. And then also a a shout out to the parking crew. Um, They risk life and limb um, every night. Um, And uh, yeah, they do. And, uh, and, you know, one thing to even think, you know, when you're pulling around, um, if you want to be a part of the um, the camping deck, you know, like you've prepared all week and you can open up the back tailgate or whatever, um, it's just important that if you pull into these back slots to always pull all the way up uh, so we can use all, all the spots that we have before we have to go to um, um, auxiliary parking or extra parking. But right now we are still walking through the Psalms and, uh, you know, something to be in prayer about. We're we're looking ahead a little bit um, about walking through the book of lamentations. Um, And so I'm actually doing some reading and some studying on that right now. And really it's out of this response, like our culture is not good at, at, at lamenting, you know, with the breakdown of family, when things start to fall apart, you know, when things start to break apart and they're not working together, like generally our culture, when it comes across pain, its only goal is how do we avoid it? How do we get away from it? How do we stop it? Where other cultures are much more equipped to deal with pain and suffering. Because they think, man, God might use that in redemptive works. And us knowing the scriptures, like us being a people of the book, looking to the history of the Bible, we see God do phenomenal things through suffering. And if right now you're like, I don't know if I can think of anything, like look no further further than the cross. God did a marvelous, phenomenal thing through something that when it happened, all the disciples ran because they didn't see anything good happening there. And yet now we worship and we can say, man, his mercies are more. All of our sins, his mercies are more. And so we're looking at what is God like in moments when it seems like everything's breaking? And what's our response? And so we haven't, like, don't stamp that. Um, And if we do lamentations, we'll call it something awesome, like lamentations. Um, But just be in prayer about that. We're praying about that right now. But here we are, Psalms 48. And I just want to ask this question, like, have you ever been moved by like the massive size of something? Like you walk up to it and just the vastness of its size is like intimidating and awe-inspiring all at once, the, the summer after my, um, I graduated from college, uh, my fifth year in college, my family celebrated and we went um, on an Alaskan cruise. It's not what I would have picked, uh, but we went on an Alaskan cruise line and I remember walking up to the ship, like I remember walking up to the ship thinking, how can that thing even float I mean, I remember looking at it and saying, there are more people on that boat than live in my hometown, Pohai Wildcats. You've probably heard of us. There are more people there. Like, it's unbelievable to me. Like, I remember just being moved by the sheer size of it. Now, this was a kind of a strange trip for me because I was, um, both my sisters, older sisters, were newly married. Okay, they didn't have kids, newly married. My parents, um, they were celebrating because I was off the payroll. And so married, no kids at home. They got three rooms that had balconies that joined together, but I was 22 and single. And so they said, oh, we got you a room in the belly of the ship. You know, like I'm down there by the engine room. Like, I I imagine people like shoveling coal, you know, in the burner. And so I was down there and like all kinds of things happened. by, By the third day, I handed my sister my debit card because this is an Alaskan cruise line. The average age is 63. I'm 22, dating Kinsey, but we had just started dating all by myself. Average age is like, 62 or 63 so I made a gambling friend because I mean what else am I supposed to do like like nightlife ended early and for my sisters and my my parents they were always like oh it's time to turn in I'm like I get it whatever by the third day I hand my debit card to my sister I'm like don't give this to me no matter what I say and just left it there but I remember thinking, man, this thing is so big. I remember getting lost over and over again. At one point in the evening, I couldn't find my room, and I just sat down in a stairwell because I was like, man, I can go be all alone in my room that doesn't have any windows. I have to turn on the TV to see if it's daylight, even though it was Alaska, it was always daylight. And I mean, I, or I could just be alone on the stairwell. I just sat there, and this nice old lady, she said, hey, sweetie, are you okay? I was like, I am, but thank you. Like it was so big. It was great in size. But it was also it was also numerous. Like I remember being blown away by the vast numbers of people working on the ship. They were cooking, serving, cleaning, fixing. Someone had to be driving, making elephants with my towels. And like like I'm sure someone was probably getting arrested too. I mean, so many people working, like vast numbers of people. It was great in its expanse. And it was also like luxurious. Like it was kingly. Like, like this was not, I mean, this was a princess cruise line. Like the food was like luxurious. It wasn't carnival, guys. I mean, this was incredible. Like there's no water slides to impress you because the average age is 60. And so they invested it in the food. They didn't, they didn't fall the thing like quantity and quality. Like it was so good, Like in that experience, like everything about that, you could say, the word it uses here, you could say it's great. It was great in size. It was great in like its massive expanse. It was great in the nature at which it's presented itself. It was great in so many ways. And you could think, it was so incredible until it was dwarfed by something else. On one of the days of the cruise, we pull into Glacier Bay and we get close I felt like a little too close to the glacier. And we sat there on this huge, massive ship, all on the deck of the ship, and we looked up to a 350 like sheet of ice. And every once in a while, like a part of it would crumble, come crashing into the bay. And like we all had this like awe-inspired moment, like we were strangers. I mean, I was like hanging out with everyone else's grandparents. But like it was a moment like we kind of connected, we bonded. I was like, man, look at that. It was awe inspiring. The sheer size and grandeur of the glacier produced this awe. And for a moment, it aligned people in, you could even say, worship. That's kind of what this text is describing. This text is describing like one day the citadel of God, like when you see God, when you see who he is and what he is actually like, you will have this moment of awe. And it aligns the people of God in the same place where we say something like what we sang, though our sins are many, his mercy is more. It's this awe producing moment. Matter of fact, it goes on and it's going to say, even God's fiercest enemies come on the offense, but when they see the greatness of God and it transitions to the greatness of his fortifications on Mount Zion, when they see the greatness of it, they tremble in panic. They fall upon themselves in awe. This text says, our God is great in being. And I wanna just look at, at two ideas. And so two ideas that I think pull from this text. First, reverence, like what do you revere? That's gonna be verses one through eight. And then consideration, what do you need to consider when you look and you actually see the nature and the vastness of God and you see the mercy upon the cross, like it brings you to a place to say, man, what do I revere and what am I not seeing? And so let's just get started. First, reverence. What do you revere? Like, it's gonna go on, it's gonna say, our God is greater. The God of the Bible is greater than all the little g gods this world offers. But you are in danger of not looking carefully enough before it's too late. But this says, our God is greater. You know, if you look at this, the psalm starts with the greatness of God, and then it moves to the fortifications of God on Mount Zion, and those pictures are supposed to be put together like the city of God is not the city of God, or the citadel of God is not the citadel of God if God isn't there. He is what makes it great. Great. And so there's, there's three phrases in these eight verses that I think are really important to unpack. And so we'll kind of go through them uh, just together. But the first is greatness of the Lord, verses one, then Mount Zion in the far north. And then by the east wind, you shatter the ships of Tarsus. And so the first phrase, great is the Lord. Look, look at verse one. One through three. And you're going to see the word great three times. But the psalmist in Hebrew is writing it with three different words. And he's getting a lot across. And so first it says, great is the Lord. That's the first one. And greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion. In the far north, the city of the great King. With her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress, a safe place to run. And so look at this. Let's start with the first one. In the very first verse one, it says, great is the Lord. The word right there, it means like great in magnitude, in size, in volume. And so it says, God is big. He's vast. He's all encompassing. He is bigger. And then later in verse one, it says, and greatly to be praised. Here, this word comes uh, to mean more like many, a lot, much. And so it says he deserves many, much, a lot of praise, like all that we could bring. First, God's glory deserves a magnitude of praise. The word glory is built on the idea of mass itself. Like when we say God is glorious, the idea of glory, it comes from the idea of like mass. That means he's weighty. Like the idea of God's glory is that it is weightier than anything else in this world. And so if you put it on the scale next to whatever you might be drawn to or attracted to, it has more value. It displaces those things, which which brings us to other things like we should look to the glory and might of God when fears encompass us. His might displaces those things. And so the first is God is great in size, he's big. The second one is God is like big in like a magnitude or much, a lot, a weightiness to him. And then the third time it says, it says the great king down there in verse three. Like you see that? The great king. And the word there, it it describes something that's kingly, something that's luxurious, something that's stately, something that's just all producing in its very being. And you actually see the effect right after it says, the king there, the great king is there, the royal king. Look at what it has on the effects of his enemies. Look at verse four. It goes on, and says, "'For behold, the kings assembled.'" And so if you notice, that's plural. And so that means many kingdoms are coming against God. And so they're starting to surround the fortress or the citadel, which is Mount Zion. They start to surround it. And so many kings. And so for behold, the kings assemble. Now they're coming with a battle plan. And so the kings assembled. They came together. And then look what happens in verse five. Verse five, it says as soon as they saw the city of God. They were astounded. Why? Because of its vastness, because of its size, because of the weight of God's glory, because his kingly nature. They were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight, trembling took hold of them, anguish as a woman in labor. This is talking about the reality of God. Like when you see God, when you really see God's worth, when you see his character and his value and his strength, when you consider what's before you on an incredible evening, when you stand next to something like Glacier Bay and you feel small and you look at the, the years that that developed and you see the size of there's something that produces awe that's related to fear. All of a sudden you feel very small. The words there, panic, Trembling, taking to flight, anguish. Like anguish, it says anguish like a woman in labor. Like the thing about that is when it's time to go in labor, you don't have a choice. Like it's time. Like whatever you think you bring to the city of God, whatever you think you have control on, when you see the magnitude of God and his worth, the greatness of our king, like you realize you have very little control, if any. This is the picture it's starting. It's starting to say even the enemies of God encamp around, like they get there and they see it's an all-producing moment that aligns them also. The people of God get aligned in worship. The enemies of God get aligned in fear. And so the first, like God is Great. It's to move us to reverence. The second, the phrase here, we see it in in verse uh, two. It says, Mount Zion in the far north. Like it talks about the greatness of our God above all other little g gods. So, like right there where it says, you know, beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Like there's a big hint here because no one living in Jerusalem would describe Mount Zion in the far north. And so Mount Zion, it's one of the hills in Jerusalem. And so you have one of the hills, but that hill, like, you know, it's first mentioned in the Bible in 2 Samuel chapter five, when David comes and he takes a stronghold of Zion from the Jebusites and it meant fortress, but pretty soon the whole hill Was kind of counted as like a fortress. And so, right there, but it's in the southeastern side of Jerusalem. You know, the, the name Zion, it kind of got moved from the fortress just to the hill itself. And so it became Mount Zion. And then later, when Solomon built a temple next to it on Mount Moriah, another hill in, in Jerusalem, what happened was the idea just expanded. Like, it's like, man, Mount Zion is all of these hills. And then later in the Bible, as it unfolds, like when they talk about Zion, they're talking about all of Jerusalem. And then it includes Israel, Judea, even the people of God, the stronghold of God goes with his people. And so it starts to take this bigger encompassing idea. But the thing is, nobody, nobody would have said in Jerusalem, like, oh, you know, Mount Zion in the far north. And so there's a lot being like communicated here. Like most commentaries, like they take that word Zaphon, that's the word for north that's used here. It's also used a pagan deity. And so the Canaanites, Enemy of God's people. There's a lot of struggle during this time with the Canaanites. The Canaanites, they believe their God, Baal Zaphon lived in the far north. And that's where all the gods gathered together to decide your fate, to decide your security, your prosperity, everything that would influence your life was being dealt with in that mountain in the far north. And so this is a statement that says, no, no, no. It's not Baal Zaphon. Your decisions, your fate is not being decided by anything else other than the God of the Bible who is greatly to be feared all-producing, big in size, numerous in glory and weight, kingly in every way. See, the Canaanites look to the north, to the meeting place of Baal, Zaphon, as, which also means the storm god, as the place of power, the place that influenced their lives, the place that determined their worth the place that would secure them with whatever might come or maybe give them significance or the giver of satisfaction, they looked elsewhere. And this is saying, don't look anywhere but to the person of Jesus, to God. Like there's a lot in this phrase. And we might look at that and say, man, that is so, you know, that's so archaic to look to a mountaintop as a place that's gonna decide your fate. See, you might not look to a mount where the pagan deities convene to decide your fate, but we look somewhere. See, we're prone to look down, you know, maybe toward a, a, a resume or a GPA or peer evaluation upon a screen. Like it's evidence that I can place my hope in. Or, or maybe we look forward to whatever is next you know, to the the next job or the next stage of life or the next moment of financial security or the next relationship, whatever we think is gonna make me safe or make me satisfied or give me a security that won't be shaken. Or sometimes we look in the past. We justify ourselves by past accomplishments or we excuse ourselves because of past sufferings. We look at God and we look at other people and say, hey, hey, you can't ask that of me because you don't know what happened to me. We're prone to look places to establish. It might not be an idolatrous mount per se, but the psalmist is saying something. The psalmist is saying, God is great, greatly to be praised. He is reigning over your life. You don't need to look to anything else. And in just a minute, he's going to say this. If you see just how great our God is, no other Mount will do. No other Mount will do. And so we see that God is great. We worked with the Mount Zion in the far north. We're prone to look elsewhere. But then we see this by the east winds, you shatter. And so by the east winds you shatter. Look at verse 7. It says, By the east winds you shatter the ships of Tarshish. Now, this is kind of confusing. Like, some historians look at these descriptions of kings surrounding Jerusalem that you saw back in verses 4 through 6. And they look at it as that probably was maybe the siege of Jerusalem in, in 707 BC when the Assyrians came and they conquered. Uh, Jerusalem. But the problem is, like, they certainly did not use ships of Tarshish. Like, that doesn't fit. And so a lot of commentaries, like, what they say, they say, man, this, like, kings sibling, siblings, the ships of Tarshish, seems to indicate a wider struggle than anything Jerusalem faced in the Old Testament. It seemed to be maybe starting with that. Remember when our city was surrounded and now it's, it's stepping into something more daunting, more dark of like, if everything came against us, what would happen? Will our king stand? And so a lot of scholars, they look at this and they're like, man, this is a struggle that hasn't happened. And so they start to point forward to coming messianic hope that we see as being pointed in Jesus. But like first, like shifts of Tarsus. Like ships of Tarshish would describe the greatest oceanic threat you could ever face in that day. I mean, it's like tanks pulling up. Like, what could you possibly do? And then when it says the east winds, it would have been the direction of virtually all threatening storms in this part of the world. I mean, it's the same way that if like you hear tornado sirens, like you should look southwest. Southwest, if if you're new to Kansas, listen, tornado sirens, look southwest. Most all the destructive storms come from that direction. And so this is saying something. When all the powers of the ships of Tarshish are bearing down on you, like the evilness of humanity coming to destroy you when all the kings have surrounded you, when all the powers of this world are hemming you in, or when the raging storms from the east have pulled over you, where the catastrophes of what is around is overtaking you. It's saying it is nothing compared to the power that our sovereign God wields. Don't look to the north to establish your security or worth. Look to what has been revealed about God. Is trying to say, look more deeply so you could see what real power is. Because when you see what real might and power is, like there's a reverence, like there's a drawing, there's an all-producing moment. I am um, my senior year in college. I was I was in a fraternity, um, and I was still I felt so old. Like I was still living the fraternity, and like you know freshmen would be around, be like oh my gosh, I'm so old, um, which is crazy as you know twenty one or twenty two but I just remember this. I was, we were having a house party. I was working the door. And so I was being, I was being, trying to be responsible. And something really typical happened. You know, the, the, the dining room became a dance floor and, you know, people were out there dancing. And, you know, almost like a, you know, a fight broke out. And really typical story, like guy, dancing, girl, other guy, move in, fight. And so during like the, the, the little skirmish, the little fight, like what, the guy got pushed out the door. And it was like, okay, that's over. And so then I'm still working the door, and he left. And I remember he wasn't very tall, but he looked pretty strong. And I remember thinking, man, he looks really strong. And then I heard whisperings of something that, that guy, OU wrestler. And I started to become scared. Like, Division I wrestler, like, you, it's not, it's not that you can tolerate pain. It's like, you like it. Like, you like it. And I thought, man, gosh, that's kind of scary. And then it got really scary because... Like a gremlin, he got wet after midnight and man, he multiplied and three OU wrestlers came back and they stood in the front of our house and they took off their shirts and you think, man, they work out, you know, and they took off their shirts and they said, we want to, I mean, I, don't, I can't, I can't tell you what they said, but I mean, they wanted to fight us and we had guys in my house, yeah, let us go out there. I'm like, have you lost your mind? You see, they were looking at the threat, but they weren't looking close enough. And so there was chatter like, hey, be men and come out. And I said, let's be men and call the police. And so that's what we did. And by the grace of God, I mean, they laughed and they didn't take anyone's arms with them or anything like that. But here's the thing, like, they looked, but they didn't perceive they looked, but they didn't look close enough. And so it didn't have this moment of reverence, like, I should be careful what I do. They didn't look carefully enough. You see, you may revere the mounts of the north, the ships of Tarshish, or the winds of the east. In the same way that we do, there's a there's a reverence in us that when we look to things of power or things of prestige or things that feel certain and secure or things that are impressive, like there's a reverence thing that happens. But this is saying like it's only because your vision is obscured. All of the powers, all the little G gods of this world tremble and quake at the greatness and certainty of our God. And then look at verse 8. This transitions us from what do you revere to what do you need to consider? Look at verse 8. It says, as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever, Selah. Think about it. What do you revere? And now you're invited to consider as you have heard, as we have seen. And so it's asking us for consideration. What do you need to consider? Like, like the rest of this psalm is an invitation to look and to look deeper, and to consider, like decide on whom you should lean on, or what you should be trusting in, or who you should hope in. Like look at these consider type words. Look at verse 9. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praises reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgment. judgments. Now look at this more consideration language. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels. Those words we have thought on, walk about, go around, number her towers, consider her ramparts, go through her citadel. This is the language you would use to try to decide, is this a safe place for me? Is this a sure foundation for my life? If everything is shaken or the enemies or powers of this world encamp around me or, or if the powers from the east come and start to crush upon us, you know, this is the kind of language that you would look. Do we have defenses? Is it sure? If I walk about and I look and I number and I consider and I go through, Have you thought about who God is? Have you considered? Do you know where you stand? When things are shaken, do you run to Yahweh, big G God? Or do you run to many failing little g gods that this world has to offer? when things start to quake and things start to feel hemmed in, where do you run? What fortifications do you go to? See, it's at that moment. And, you know, last week we talked about the shields of this earth, all these good things that God gives that help all people, you know, that are good. But it's these friction points, you know, when it talks about, you know, the city god of the far north, and we talked about Baal, Zaffron, you know, the idea of other gods rivaling God. it's these things that we run to becomes a battleground where who is God? Is it someone's opinion of me is that God or is God 's opinion of me, God? Is it someone who holds like my rays above me, is that God, or is God 's opinion of me God? like who is God? that's the battleground, and this is not the first time that those battles have been thought of, talked about, or gone down. In the Exodus account, we have a really similar kind of showdown. The question before God's people was, will you trust in God or in the many little g-gods Egypt has to offer? You see, if you remember in the Exodus account, God did miraculous, d- disastrous things to free Israel, whom he calls in Exodus 4, he calls Israel his firstborn son. And so what happened was in Exodus 4, God sends Moses to Pharaoh and says, Israel is my firstborn son, and you must free Israel. And if you know the story, Pharaoh says, no, we're not going to do that. And then we have a showdown of 10 plagues where each plague is devastating against one idea of their idea of God. And so it starts with the, the Nile turned to blood, which they would have believed in a Nile God. It goes on to things like, you know, frogs, lice, fleas, boils, hail, darkness. The list goes on and on. And so over and over, this wasn't just to prove to his enemies, the Egyptians, who were hurting his firstborn son, the Israelites. It was also to prove to the Israelites, trust in me. Because for 400 years, 400 years of slavery, they looked to the same gods. That Egypt looked to. They were prone to revere those same gods. They were prone to put their hope in Ra, the sun god, or put their hope in the Nile that would bring the water that they need to make them prosperous. Put their hope in all of those things, and so the showdown would form. It wasn't just against the enemies of God; it was also for the people of God that He would say, "Trust in the citadel of God." And so that went on and on until it came to the 10th plague, which was the death of the firstborn son. Like, Do you see what's happening? Exodus chapter 4, Moses goes and says, Israel is my firstborn son. He's saying, you stop killing my firstborn son or I will kill your firstborn son. But this serious judgment landed on all people. And the same opportunity was open for all people that if you put the blood of a sacrificial lamb over your door, death passed over. And that means even the Israelites, if they said, man, I don't have time for that, surely I'll be okay. But they didn't cover their lives with the blood of the sacrificial lamb. Death didn't pass over. It was a showdown of Yahweh, big G God, and all the little G gods that the Israelites were trusting in. And the point is, anyone who considered, anyone who revered God enough and considered and covered the door to their lives with the blood of a sacrificial lamb, they were passed over because they were covered by blood. They were safe. Both this psalm and the Exodus count are asking you to consider, to look. Both of these point forward to the true fortification, the truest fortification in this dying world. The sacrificial blood of Jesus in your place. See, the gospel is this. Jesus was the Son of God whom we killed. The crowds cried crucify because it seemed right to them. And we do the same thing every single day. Every single day we run to other mounts of safety that seem right to us. Just like the enslaved Israelites who needed to see And consider who is the true God. The only saving distinction is to seek refuge under the blood of the sacrificial lamb. The wrath of God will not fall on you if you run to the security of Jesus' blood in your place. See. Consider. Walk about. Walk around the question before us is will we renounce the other mounts for the Mount of Calvary? Verse nine says, we have thought on your steadfast love. Verse 13, it says, now tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Pray with me. God, Lord, we... um, God, it is so easy to be moved by things that are little g gods, to think that they're the certain things that will make me safe. They're the things that will give me significance, make me happy, give me satisfaction. And Lord, help me, help us look at Psalms 48. And to revere you and to consider you. With your heads down, your eyes closed, I just want to talk to you just for a second. As we move, just to kind of close the service out, we we provide time uh, for prayer. And uh, that's not just because that's a formula. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's a formula or not. It's because we actually believe that our God, because of his steadfast love that was satisfied in the person of Jesus, that every promise of the scripture is now yes to you. And the Bible tells us things like we have not because we ask not like and so like if there is something crushing in on you like maybe it's like something that just you know devastation has just happened or you feel encamped or surrounded like the invitation for God's people is that you would just come and pray. And our people, like, they're just going to pray big for you. They don't have to know the whole story. You can tell them as little or as much as you want. They're just going to pray for this God, this fortified, certain God in creation who spoke everything in existence, who laid down his life for you, that this God will move on your behalf. But this is also for, like, if you're not for sure if you're a Christian, Like, maybe you kind of grew up in church, but you've never just said, God, save me. You've never looked to the sacrificial power of God upon the cross and said, that's my only fortification in life. Like, man, I'd encourage you just to come and share that with someone on the prayer team. They're just going to rejoice with you. God, Lord, we need you, and we love you, and it's in your son's name, Jesus, that we ask all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.